Ashley Brock reading Nora Roberts' book, Holding the Dream, Chapter 3. The minute Kate walked into pretense, Margot frowned. You look like death. Thanks, I want coffee. In a moment alone, she headed up the curving stairs to the second floor, found the pot already brewing. She knew she hadn't slept more than three hours, not after pouring over every detail in the report from the detective back east, and every detail had confirmed that she was the daughter of a thief. It was all there. The evidence, the charges, the statements, and reading through those papers had killed the faint hope she'd hidden even from herself that it had all been some sort of mistake. Instead, she had learned that her father had been out on bail at the time of the accident and had instructed his lawyer to accept the plea bargain he'd been offered. If he hadn't been killed the night on the icy stretch of road, he would have been in prison within the week. Telling herself to accept it, to get on with her life, she drank her coffee hot and black. She needed to go back down, get to work, and face a friend with who knew her too well to miss signs of stress. Well, she thought, carrying her cup with her, she had other excuses for a poor night's sleep, and there was nothing to be gained by obsessing over facts that couldn't be changed. From this moment, Kate promised herself she would cease to think about it. What's going on? Margaret demanded when Kate wound her way down the stairs. I want an answer this time. You've been jumping out of sorts for weeks, and I swear you lose weight every breath. This has just gone on long enough, Kate. I'm fine. Tired, she shrugged. A couple of accounts are giving me some problems. On top of that, it's been a weird week. Kate opened the cash register, counted out the bills and coins for morning change. Monday... That scum Thornhill came slinking into my office, Margaret Turner, from setting up the teacup. I hope you kicked his ass right out again. I let him think we've made up. It was easier, she said for Margaret who could comment. He's more likely to leave me alone now. You're not going to tell me. That's what's keeping you up at night. It gave me some bad moments, okay? Okay, Margaret smiled simply. Men are pigs, and that one is a blue ribbon hog. Don't waste your beauty sleep on him, honey. Thanks. Anyway, that was only the first weird thing. The weekly life of a CPA. Wednesday, I got tossed this new account. Freeland, it's a petting zoo. Kitty Park Museum. Very strange. I'm learning all about how much it costs to feed a baby llama. Margo paused. You laid such a fascinating life. You're telling me? Then yesterday, the partners all huddled together for most of the afternoon. Even the secretaries were barred. Nobody has a clue, but the rumor is somebody's about to be canned or promoted. Kate shrugged and closed her eyes. I've never seen them powwow like that. They had to make their own coffee. Stop the presses! Look, my little world has just a margin intrigue and drama as everyone else's. She stepped back up tomorrow and on her. What? Just hold still. Grabbing Kate's lapel, Marco pinned on a crescent-shaped brooch, dangling with drops of amber. Avatize the merchandise. It's got dead bugs in it. Marco didn't bother us. Put some lipstick on, for God's sake. We open in ten minutes. I don't have any with me, and I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to work with you all day. If you're going to be picking on me, I can sell ring up and box just fine without painting my face. Fine, before Kate could have made her. Margaret picked up an automatizer and spritzed her with a perfume. Avatar's the merchandise, point. If you don't even ask what you're wearing, it's Belladonna's Sauvé. Kate had just worked up a snarl when Laura burst in. I thought it was going to be late. Allie had a hair emergency. I was afraid one of us would kill the other before it was over. She's getting more like Margot. She's getting more like Margot every day. Wishing over two, Kate strolled over to pour herself a tea and used it to wash down a pool, pa 
palm full of pills she didn't want either of her friends to see. I meant that in the worst possible way, she added. A young girl becoming interested in a parents and grooming is natural, Margaret said back. You were the changeling in the family. Still are. You are constantly proved by going around like a scarecrow dressed in navy blue soleil. Unoffended, Kate sipped her tea. Navy serage is classic because it's serviceable. There is only a very small percentage of the population who feel honor-bound to fart through silk. Jesus, you're crude, Margot managed out loud. I don't even want to argue with you. That's a relief. Hoping to keep it that way, Laura Hofer. That's a relief. Hoping to keep it that way, Laura over in the open sunroom. I'm still cross-eyed from arguing with Allison. If Annie hadn't intervened, it would have been hairbrushes and ten paces, at ten paces. But I'm always good to fuse a good fight, Margot commented. Okay, ladies, remember, we're pushing Mother's Day, and in case it slipped both your minds... Expected mothers also want gifts. Kate raced for the onslaught and struggled to ignore the vice-like clamp on her temples that was usually the sign of a migraine on the boil. Within an hour, pretense was busy enough to keep all those of them occupied. Kate boxed up a Hermione's bag of dark green leather, wondering what a, anyone needed with a green leather purse. But the slick slide of the credit card machine kept her cheerful. She was, by her calculations, neck and neck with Margot on sales. It was a fine feeling, she thought, as she wrapped the gold and silver box in elegant floral paper, watching the business progress. And the combo of competition and medication had eased the headache that had been threatening. She had to give Margot full credit for it. Pretense had been a dream rising like smoke from the ashes of Margot's life. Just over a year ago, Margot's career as a popular model in Europe, her exposure in financial words as the Belladonna woman, had been rudely cut off. Not that Margot was to blame. Well, not that Margot was blameless, Kate thought smiling as she handed the purchase to her customer. She'd been reckless, foolish, headstrong, but she hadn't deserved to lose everything. She'd come back from Milan broken and nearly bankrupt, but in a matter of months, though her, through her own grit, she and she had turned her life around. Opening a shop and selling processions, and it had been Josh Templeton's idea original, his idea came used. To keep Margot from sinking, since he was blindly in love with her. But Margot explained the idea, neutered it, polished it. Then Laura reeled from her husband's deceit, betrayal, and greed had taken the bulk of what he left of her money and helped Margot buy the building for pretenses. When Kate had insisted on acquiring a one-third interest, thus making herself a partner, it had been because she believed in the investment, because she believed in Margot, and because she didn't want to be left out of the fun. Of all of them, she understood the risk best. Nearly 40% of new businesses failed within a year, and almost 80% went under within five. And Kate worried it over, gnawed on at night when she couldn't sleep, but pretenses, Margot's conception of an elegant, elusive, and unique second-hand shop that offered everything from designer gowns to teaspoons was holding its own. Kate's part in it might have been small, and her reasons for getting involved certainly straddled the practical and the emotional, but she was enjoying herself when she wasn't obsessing. Here was proof, after all, that life could be what you made of it. She barely needed to hang on to that idea. Is there something I can Is there something I can show you? The man she smiled at was thirty-ish, attractive and a rugged, lived in manner. She appreciated the worn jeans, the faded shirt, the dashing reddish mustache. Uh well, maybe this necklace here. She looked down into this place, zeroed in on his choice. It's pretty, isn't it? Pearls are so classic. No regular pearls, she thought as she lifted the necklace out. What the hell were they called? She couldn't search through her mind as she draped the necklace over her velvet form. Seed pearls, she reminded. 
I remembered and beamed at him. He really was awfully cute. It's called a learn it, she added. She got that off the tag. Three strands in the class or the slide thing has a give me a minute. <laughs> Made pearl set and go. Tradition with a flare, she added, enjoying the ad lip. I wonder how much. Hesitating, he flipped the tiny discreet bag tag over it. To his credit, he once only said, Well, in my life, it is the top of my price range. It's something she'll wear for years. Is it for Mother's Day? Yeah. He shifted his feet. When I crossed a finger over tonight, <laughs> she'll go nuts over it. She melted toward him. Any man who would take such time and trouble for a gift for his mother earned top points from Cake Pow. Especially when he looked just a little bit like Kevin Costner. We have several other really nice pieces that aren't quite so expensive. No, I think maybe. Could you put it on so I can get a better picture? Sure. Happy to oblige. She passed it around her neck. What do you think? Is it great? She angled the counter mirror so that she could judge for herself and added laughing. If you don't buy it, I might have to snap it up myself. It looks awful pretty on you. Except with a shy, quiet smile that made her want to skip him up and bundle him into the back room. She's got dark hair like you. Wears it long, but the pearls look good with dark hair. I guess I'll have to take it. Along with that box over there. The silver one, with all the fancy scrolling. Still wearing the necklace, Kate scooted out from behind the counter to get the trinket box he pointed out. Two presents. She reached up under the necklace. Your mother must be a very special woman. Oh, she's great. She's gonna like this box. She sort of collects him. The nexus is for my wife, though. He had a, I'm getting all my Mother's Day shopping done at one time. Your wife? Kate forced herself to keep her lips cheerfully curved at the corners. I guarantee she'll love it. But if she is, but if she or your mother prefers something else, we have a 30-day exchange and return policy. With that, she considered admirable restraint. Kate laid the necklace down. Now, will that be cash or charge? Ten minutes later, she watched him saute out. The cute ones, she muttered to Laura. The nice ones, the ones who love their mothers, are always married. <laughs> there, there. Laura pulled Kate arms before reaching under the counter. was like the proper box. It looked like a very good sale. Puts me at least 200 up on Marco, and the day's young. That's the spirit, but I should warn you, she's got one back in the wardrobe room now, and she's definitely leaning toward Versace. Shit! Kate turned to scan the main showroom for prey. I'm going for the blue-haired lady with a Gucci bag. She's mine. Ruler and tiger. Kate didn't break for lunch and told herself it was because she wanted to keep up her momentum. Not because her stomach was aching, acting up again. She had tremendous success in the second floor ladies' bodier and racked up two pegronars and stained glass accent lamp in a tousled, tasseled footstool. Maybe she did sneak into the back room a couple of times to boot up the computer and check Margaret's bookkeeping, but only when her lead was comfortable. She corrected the expect. The expected mistakes rolled her eyes over a few unexpected ones and tidied up the files. She was forced to admit, in the end, the account's lapse was what cost her the victory, which came back smug, already preparing the lecture she intended to deliver to Margot on the cost of careless accounting. Her rival was closing the sale. A whopper. Kate knew antiques. A child didn't grow up in Templeton House and not learn to recognize and appreciate them. Her heart sank even as dollar signs revolved in her head when she recognized the piece Margot was going over. Louis the 16th. Kate recited in her head, A sucronia opania, 
probably near 1775. The marquee panels typically of the era included vases and garlands of flowers, musical instruments, and drapery. Oh, it was a stunner. Kate taught in one of the remaining pieces from Margot's original stock. I'm sorry to lose it, Margot was telling the dapper white-haired gentleman who leaned on a gold-headed cane and studied the secretariat in a woman who described her with equal admiration. I bought it in Paris several years ago. You have a wonderful eye. In fact, you have two wonderful eyes. Oh, Mr. Steiner, that's so sweet of you. In her shameless style, Margot traded a finger down his arm. I do hope you'll think of me. Now and again, when you're enjoying this, I can promise you I will. Now, as to shipping, just come over here to the counter, and I'll take all the necessary information. Margot crossed the rooms, hit swinging, and she had a triumphant look. I think that crushes you for today, eh? She said when her customer sold out. The day's not over, Kate says. We still have two hours until closing. So until that fat lady sings, which will be you in a few minute months. Don't count your chickens! Such a sore loser, Margaret clucked her tongue and was ready to pounce when the door jangled. It was a customer, but she pounced anyway. It wasn't a customer, but she pounced anyway. Josh! He caught her, kissed her, then pulled her to a chair. Off your feet. He kept one hand on her shoulder, turned to Clarky. You, you're supposed to be keeping an eye on her, making sure she doesn't overdo. Don't hang this on me. Besides, Margot doesn't stand when she can sit and doesn't sit when she can lie down. And I made her drink a glass of milk an hour ago. Josh narrowed his eyes. Oh, glass. What? She didn't spit at me? <laughs> what? She didn't spit at me? Because it amused and touched her. See her big brother worrying fuss. Kate decided to forgive him. She stepped over and kissed him. Welcome home. Thanks. He stroked her hand over here. Where's Laura? Upstairs was a couple of customers. And there's another one in the... And there's another one in the room. room. Margaret began. So, sit. Josh, Kate can handle it. You're looking pale. Margaret said, I am not... You're going home and taking a nap, he decided. No way you're going to work all day then run around giving a party. Kate and Laura can finish out here. Sure we can. Can she work A couple of hours should do it. Keep dreaming, pal. I've already won. Won? I was interested in a bet. Josh looked from one to one what? Just a friendly wager that I could outsell her. Just a friendly wager that I can outsell her, which well, she's already lost, Margaret Warren, and I'm feeling generous. You can have the two-hour handicap, Kate, taking Josh's hand, shrubbed it against her cheek. And when you've lost, officially, you wear the Orgro's slip dress, the red to the party tonight. The thing that looks like a nightgown? You might as well be naked. Really? Just because of that. No offense, Kate. Hope you lose. Come on, Duchess. Home bed. I'm not wearing I'm not wearing a red slip to any party Kate assistant. Then don't lose, Margaret said with a careless shrug. She walked to Josh's door. But when you do, help Laura pick out the accessories. She wore a hammered gold collar and triangle earrings that danced below her lobes. Her complaints that she looked like a slave girl captured by the Klingons fell on deaf ears. Even the shoes had been forced on her. Red satin skyscrapers that are teetering at three and a half inches over her normal five seven. She sipped champagne and felt like a fool. Didn't help matters that some of her clients were there. Margot and Josh's acquaintances ran toward the rich, the famous, and the privileged, and she wondered how she was going to maintain her image as a clear headed, precise, and dedicated accountant. When she was dressed like a bimbo. But a bet was a bet. Stop fidgeting. Lord order 
ordered when she joined Kate on the terrace. It looks stunning. This from a woman, tastefully garbed in an elegant suit that covers her extremities. What I look, she said after another global shower, is desperate. I might as well be wearing a sign. Single woman, HIV negative, apply in person, Lorelai. As long as you're hiding out here, I don't think you have to worry about it. With a sigh, she leaned back on the decorated banister. God, it's a beautiful night. Half moon, starlight, the sound of the sea. Sky like that, it doesn't seem like anything bad could ever happen under it. This is a good house. Can you feel that, Kate? Margot and Josh's house. It's good. Excellent investment. Prime location. Excellent view. She smiled at Laura's blonde stare. Oh yeah, I can feel it. It's a good house. It has heart and character. I like thinking of them here together. Of them raising a family here. Relaxed now, she leaned back with Laura. There was music drifting through the open doors and windows, a friendlier sound of conversation, the tickle of laughter. She could smell flowers to see, a mix of feminine perfumes, exotic tidbits being passed around on silver trays, and she could, simply by standing there, feel the permanent permanence and the promise like templeton how she mused where she had spent so much of her life maybe that was why she had never been driven to make a home of her own why an apartment convenient to work was all she wanted because she thought with a faint smile she could always go home to templeton house and now she could always come here as well oh hello byron i didn't know you were here as laura's easy greeting kate kate's pretty mood popped she opened her eyes Straighten up from the banister and square her jaws, square her shoulders. <laughs> Something about Byron the wit always made her feel confrontational. I just got here. I had some business I ran over. You look lovely as always. He squeezed Laura's offered hand lightly before turning his gaze to Kate's. The shadows were deep enough that she didn't notice his deep green eyes widened slightly, but she did catch the quick amusement. Nice to see you. Can I get either of you a fresh drink? No, I have to get back inside. Laura stepped toward the terrace doors. I promised Joss I'd charm Mr. and Mrs. Ito. We're in a hot competition for their banquet business in Tokyo. She was talking too quickly for Kate to scrawl at her. Would you like another glass of champagne? Kate scrubbed down in her glass instead. It was still half full. No, I'm fine. Byron content himself, but lighted a thin cigar. He knew Kate's pride wouldn't permit her to bolt. Normally, he wouldn't have stayed with her any longer than manners dictated. But the moment he was a little tired of people, and understood that ten minutes with her would be more interesting than an hour with the party crowd, especially if he could irritate her, as he seemed so skilled at doing. That's quite a dress, Chris. That's quite a dress, Catherine. She bristled. As he expected, at his use of her full name, grinning around the cigar, he leaned back and prepared to enjoy the diversion. I lost the bet, she said between her teeth. Really? He reached out the toy, with a tug up the thin strap that had slid off her shoulder. Some bet. Hands off, she snapped. Fine. Deliberately, he moved the strap down again, so that she was forced to pull it up. You've got a good eye for real estate. He commented on the surroundings when she found him. You stared Josh and Margot to this place, didn't you? Yeah. She watched him waiting, but he seemed content to puff on a cigar and study the view. He was just the type she decided to dislike. Poster boy gorgeous. She termed it nervously. Thick brown hair that showed hints and streaks of gold waved with careless attract attraction around a heart-stopping face. What would have been charming dimples in his youth had deepened to caresses in his cheeks that were now designed to entice a woman's sexual fantasies. The firm hero's chin, the straight aristocratic nose, and those dark, 
dark green eyes that could at his whim slide over you as if you were invisible or pin you shuddering to the wall. Six-two, she judged, with the long limbs and strong shoulders of a long-distance runner. And, of course, that voice with its faint, misty draw that hinted of hot summer nights and southern comfort. <laughs> Men like him came to the sun. We're not ever to be trusted. That's no he murmured, caught staring and appraising as his sharp green eyes shifted to hers. Kate looked quickly away. What? That scent you're wearing suits you better than the soup and talk you seem so fond of. Straight up sexy. He continued smiling when she even no games, no illusions. She'd known him for months, ever since he transferred from Elena to Monterey to take over Pete Ridray's position at Templeton. He was, by all counts, a savvy, experienced, and creative hotel hoteler, one who had worked his way to the top of Templeton's organization over a period of fourteen years. She knew he came from money, polite southern wealth, steeped in tradition and chivalry. She had disliked him on sight and had been confident, despite his unflagging manners, that her feelings were reciprocated. Are you coming on to me? His eyes still on hers, filled with humor. I was complimenting. Uh. On your perfume, Catherine. If I were coming on to you, you wouldn't have to clarify. She tossed back the rest of her wine. Mistake, she knew. With a migraine lurking. Don't call me Catherine. That always seems to slip my mind. Like hell. Exactly. And if I were to tell you you look particularly attractive tonight, that would be an observation, not an overturn. Anyway, Kate, we were discussing real estate. She continued to scrawl, even Margot's favorite crystal champagne that sat well on her nerves to me. We were? Oh, we're about to. I'm considering buying a home in the area since my six-month trial period is almost over. You had a trial period? <laughs> it cheered her up considerably to picture him on a probation on Templeton, California. I had six months to decide if I wanted to be based here permanently or go back to Atlanta. Reading her mind easily, grin. I like it here. The sea, the cliffs, the forest. I like the people I work with, but I don't intend on continuing to live in a hotel, however well run and lovely it may be. She shrugged, irritated by the way the wine seemed to be sitting like lead under her breastbone. Your business, DeWitt, not mine. He would not, he told himself patiently, allow her prickly nature to divert him from his objective. You know the area. You have contacts and a good eye for quality and value. I thought you could let me know if you hear about any interesting property, particularly in the 17-mile drive area. I'm not a realtor, she muttered. Good, that means I don't have to worry about your commission. Because she appreciated that, she meant, there is a place. Might be a little big for your needs. I like big. Figures. It's near Pebble Beach, four or five bedrooms. I can't remember, but it's back off the road. A lot of cypress trees and a nice established yards. Decks. She continued squinting her eyes as she tried to remember. Front and back. Wood. Cedar. I think. Lots of glass. It's been on the market about six months and hasn't moved. There's probably a reason for that. My be was waiting for the right buyer. Do you know the realtor? Sure. They're a client. Monterey Bay, Monterey Bay Real Estate. Ask for Arlene. She shoots straight. I appreciate it. If it works out, I'll have to buy you dinner. No thanks. Just consider it. She broke off as pain stabbed in her stomach. Then, like a sick echo, erupted in her head. The glass slipped out of her hand and shattered on the towel even as he grabbed her. Hold on. He picked her up at a moment. To notice she was set little more than bones and nerves before he eased her onto the cushions of Jesus Christ, Kate, you're dead white. I'll get someone. No, 
Marty met the page, grabbed her. It's nothing, just a twinge. Sometimes alcohol, wine on an empty stomach. She managed regulating her breathing. I should know better. His bro knit, his voice went with him. When did you eat last? I was kind of swamped today. Idiot. He said, there's enough food around here for 300 starving soldiers. I'll get you a damn plate. No. I, ordinarily, that vicious look wouldn't have quarreled her, but the moment she was supposed to say, okay, thanks, but don't say anything. It'll only worry them, and they've got all these people here. Just don't say anything. She repeated them, watched him after one last smoldering look stride off. Her hand trembled a bit as she opened her bag and swigged from a small medicine bottle. All right, she promised herself. She would take better care of herself. She'd start trying those yoga ex exercises Margo had shown her. She stopped drinking so much damn coffee. She would stop thinking. By the time he came back, she was feeling steadier. One look at the plating carrots, she let out a laugh. How many of those starving soldiers do you intend to feed? Just eight. Yielded and popped a small succulent shrimp into her mouth himself. After a moment's deliberation. She scooted over on the cushion. A distraction, even in the form of buying the wits, was what she needed. I guess I have to ask you to sit down and share. You're always so gracious. She chose a tiny Spanish quiche. I just don't like you, DeWitt. Fair enough. He dipped in some crab souffle. I don't like you either, but it was taught to be polite to a lady. Yet he thought of her. Otter still he dreamed dreamed of her a fog drenched erotic dream he couldn't quite remember in the morning something about the cliffs and the crash of waves the feel of soft skin and slim body under his hands those big dark Italian eyes stared into his and left him uncomfortably amused with himself Byron wit was sure of many things the national debt would never be paid women in the cotton dresses were the best reason for summer rock and roll was here to stay and Catherine powell was not his type skinny abrasive woman with more attitude than charm didn't appeal to him he liked them soft and smart and sexy he admired them simply for being women and delighted in the bonuses of quiet conversation hard-headed debate outrageous laughter and hot mindless sex he considered himself as much an expert on the female mystique as any man could be after all he'd grown up surrounded by them the lone son in a household with three daughters byron knew women i knew them well and he knew what he liked no he wasn't remotely attracted to kate still the dream nagged at him as he prepared for the day followed him into the executive weight room tugged at the back of his mind as he pushed himself through reps and sets and pyramids it lingered while he finished off his routine with twenty minutes of the wall street journal in the treadmill he struggled to think of something else the house he intended to buy something close to the beach so that he could run on the sand and the sun instead of on a botanical loop rooms of his own he mused done to his own taste a place where he could mow grass turn his music up ear-spinning levels entertain company or enjoy a quiet private evening there had been few quiet private evenings in his childhood not that he regretted the noise the crowds he had grown up with he adored his sisters had tolerated their ever-increasing hordes of friends he loved his parents and had always considered their busy social family life normal indeed it had been the uncertainty as to whether he could bear to be so far away from his childhood home and family that had made him put the six-month trial period clause into his agreement with josh 
Though he did miss them, he realized he could be happy in California. He was nearly 35, and he wanted his own place. He was the first to wit to move out of Georgia in two generations. He was determined to make it the right move. If nothing else, it would stop that not-so-subtle family pressure for him to settle down, marry, start a family. The distance would certainly make it difficult for his sisters to continually shove women they considered perfect for him under his nose. He had yet to meet a woman who was perfect for him. As he stepped into the shower back in his penthouse office, sweet, he thought of Kate again. She was definitely wrong. If he dreamed about her, it was only because she'd been on his mind. Annoyed that she continued to be, Byron turned up the radio and fixed to the tiles until Boone Radiant bellowed out the challenge to give them something to talk about. He was merely concerned about her, he decided. She'd gone so pale because so became become so quickly and unexpectedly vulnerable, he'd always been a sucker for a damsel in distress. Of course, she was an idiot for not taking care of herself. Health and fitness weren't an option in Byron's mind, but a duty. The woman needed to learn to eat properly, cut back on the caffeine, exercise, build up some flesh, and jet some, some of those jaggling nerves. She wasn't half bad when she lost the attitude, he decided, stepping out of the shower with Bonnie still blasting. She'd given him a decent lead on the kind of property he was interested in, and they'd even managed to have a reasonable conversation over a shared plate. And she had looked interesting in that excuse for a dress she'd been wearing. Not that he was interested, Byron assured himself as he lathered up to shave, but she had a certain gamey appeal when she wasn't scrowling. Almost Audrey Hepburnish. He swore when he nicked his chin with the razor, with the blame for his intention directly on Kate's head. He didn't have time to analyze some bony, unfriendly numbers cruncher with a chip on her shoulder. He had hotels to run. End of chapter 3.